tell you a story about Ben before I get started. No relationship to whatever I'm going to say otherwise, but I just want to tell this story. Um, you know, ben, I am kind of weirdly one of Ben's bosses. I lead a committee that oversees Ben, and uh, when we uh, pray for you guys and help uh, facilitate ministry here to the campus. And so I've known Ben since he came here. I talk, I was one of the guys who interviewed Ben uh, to come to this place. And um, so we're also part of the same, what's called a presbytery. And it's basically a regional church for pastors. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's usually kind of a bunch of business that we do at presbytery meetings. But we also do some other uh, more fun things. Um, namely, uh, we try to build tradition into our Presbyterian meetings. And one of the traditions that we have is um, after the worship service on the first night of Presbytery, uh, we go to Whataburger. Now, it's not just any trip to Whataburger. Now, I don't know if you like Whataburger or not. One of the special things about Whataburger is what? It's open all the time. <laughs> So when you're, you know, leaving a party at 2 in the morning, where can you go? Whataburger. So that's a special thing about Whataburger. The other special thing is you can get a hamburger with as many patties as you want on it. Did you know that? And so we have a tradition that it's called the Triple Cheese Club that afterwards... A bunch of us pastors gather at Whataburger to eat triple cheeses, and we'll take pictures, and we'll toast with our triple cheeses all up in the air, and it's a special thing. Your pastor, the biggest burger he's had at the triple cheese club is a junior burger. It's really shameful. And he gets mocked for it, and we pester him, and we mock and mock and mock, thinking that he'll change his mind and order the triple cheese, or maybe even go big. Like, we had a guy who had eight patties last time. His name's Bo, and the tradition that is now called the Bocho Cinco. (laughs) And Ben still went junior. And so he's affectionately known around the presbytery as uh, either Baby Burger or Baby Boy. (laughs) So my expectation for you for the rest of the time that he's here is that you address him with respect as Baby Boy or Baby Burger. Can you do that? Can you do that better than you cheered about being Aggies? I'm thankful for my friend Ben and thankful for uh, all the ministry that he's done to you, him and Anna here at the campus. And like you, I'm going to be sad that he's going to be gone. And so tonight's sermon reflects the spirit of that. And we're going to talk from John 15. So let me read the text and then we'll pray. Hear God's word from John chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit... Oh, you can stand up. We stand up. My bad. Let's start again with proper respects. Remember, proper respect to Ben is calling him baby boy or baby burger. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, not, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it bear, may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in, as, and, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. You can sit down. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come uh, before your good word that declares to us that you, in fact, are good. That you are good. That you do good work in our lives. And yet, sometimes it doesn't always feel good. It doesn't feel good to be pruned. It doesn't. We like to look at our fruit. We like to see how ripe and good it is. We like to champion it. And when it's taken away, it doesn't feel good. Remind us tonight, Lord, that you are the one who brings joy. That you are the one that does something. That you are the vine. Help us to believe that, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Where is the joy? Where is your joy? Now, joy is kind of a funny thing. It's kind of an elusive thing. Um, A friend of mine was telling a story. He's a pastor. He was a pastor for many years. And he started playing baseball as an adult. He'd go down to the baseball field and he would play baseball. And he's in his 40s at this time. And he noticed that his wife wanted to come to every game. And she'd sit up in the stands and she'd read a book oftentimes. Or she would, uh, she liked to do other hobbies and she'd do that in the stands. But she came to every game. She had to come. And so one day after one of the games, my friend Doug, he asked his wife, why do you want to come to all these games? Like we're old and we're not very good at baseball. Why do you have to be here? And he's a pastor at this time. And she says to him, You know, Doug, this is the only time during the week that I see you smile. And I don't want to miss that. My wife hears this story 
And she turns to me and she says, where's your smile? Where's your joy? What, what will bring you joy like baseball brought Doug? Because you need to find it. And those were true words. And those were hard words. And joy is kind of this weird thing. It's elusive because it's not happiness. It's something more than that. The Scriptures seem to teach us that joy is present in spite of circumstances, that you can be joyful even though your circumstances on the outside don't appear to be things that would make you joyful. But the Scriptures seem to say you can be joyful in those times. And it certainly manifests itself, right, in real life. So if you've ever been in love, you know what joy feels like. And that love, right, it's not ever easy. There's always pain involved when you love someone. Always. There's always hard words like my wife said to me about, where's my joy? There's pain in love, and yet love brings joy, right? Where's your joy? We're building to the end of a semester. You're about to go home, some of you, for holiday breaks, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And there's this weird thing that happens to you as college students when you go home. I've been there. Ben's been there. There's this weird thing that happens. You're an adult. You've been making choices for yourself. And yet you're going to go home. And at your home, some of you, those choices will be inhibited. And you'll have to enter into that. And the conflict that results from that. Some of you are going to go home and it's already going to be conflict. It's just always conflict. Where's your joy? You're about to take exams. Some of you worried about Diffie Q and whatever other engineering class that you had to take. I know you're not all engineers. But man, it seemed like every one of my friends when I was here was an engineer. And so I'd hear these classes like Diffie Q and I, differential equations. I, I know what that was, but I didn't know what it was. Or statics and dynamics and all these things. And I was like, what are those lame classes? You should be an education major. Like, you don't have to study ever. <laughs> but you're building up to this, and you know, like, if you don't make a certain grade, there's going to be consequences for you. Maybe a lost scholarship or summer school. Where's the joy? As RUF closes a chapter, and it's just a chapter, by the way, it's been on this campus since 1995. How many of you were born before 1995? Right. Like, it's just a chapter. But that chapter's closing. And my question for you, students, where's your joy? I want to make... I think five observations quickly with you from this text. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is called the farewell discourse. He's about to go away. That's why I chose this text. 
Now, Ben isn't Jesus. He's baby boy. (laughs) But Ben has spiritually led you and pastored you and shepherded you, much like Jesus has shepherded these disciples, imperfectly. But he has shepherded you, and he's about to go away. And the future is unknown. It is. There is no guarantees about tomorrow. We know that. And the disciples are feeling this. They're feeling the weight of this. They've walked with Jesus for three years. You've had been, some of you, for four. They've walked with Jesus for three years. They know so much about Him, and yet there's so much they don't know. And Jesus is like laying it all out for them. These are the last words I'm going to give you before I'm gone. And He's just talked about a helper that's going to come and be with them. And then He says, I am the vine. If He's the vine, what does that mean? You aren't. You aren't the vine. The temptation for you, as you care about this place, as you care about each other, as you care about your name on this campus, the temptation for you, student, interns, is to think that you are the vine. That you're the place of pulsating life for this body, for this campus, for RUF. Jesus is the vine and you aren't. Ben, Jesus is the vine and you aren't. You aren't the vine here. You aren't the lifeblood here. Jesus is the lifeblood here. He is the vine. Not only are you not the vine, but you're not even the gardener. You're not responsible for pruning and planting and watering and throwing seeds. The gardener is God the Father. You aren't the gardener. The text says that there's going to be branches that bear fruit that he's going to prune. So I know, because I've listened to the stories, I've listened to some of your stories from a distance, and I know that there's fruit that has been manifest here in this place. And God is pruning the fruit. And one way He's pruning the branch and taking out the fruit is He's sending Ben away. That doesn't feel good. Like, I like my fruit to be known. Like, I want everyone to know when I do something good. I want everyone to know, as a, even as a minister, when there's something good that has happened in my church, I want to get it on Instagram. I want to tweet about it. I don't really do Snapchat. I really don't understand. I'm old. But I want to do that. 
I want people to know what's going on in all the fruit that my church has so that more people might come to my church. And so that my church will grow. And so that I don't stress about the bills next month and I have enough money in the bank so that we can pay our bills, pay me, and everything's going to be alright. I want to broadcast fruit for all of those reasons. And if there isn't any fruit to broadcast, I am not too proud to go out with a staple gun to a tree and staple fruit to it. And maybe that describes you. Like you've been here all semester, you've been walking through the the, uh, life together with students here at RUF, you've been going through the motions, and you are stapling fruit. You're out there on the bare branch, thinking you're the gardener, and you are out there stapling fruit to the tree, so something, so it looks like something is happening in your life, so it looks like you're growing in some way, so you can point to it and tell all these other Christian kids who seem to be doing so well at life that you too are doing well at life, when you know darn well you're not doing good at life. But stapled fruit is at least fruit. And so you'll be the gardener for the day, and you'll staple fruit to the tree. Students, you're not the gardener. God's the one who prunes the branches. Let me just make a side note here. The same friend that I told you about that was smiling at baseball has a saying. You don't prune trees in the winter. You don't prune trees in the winter. What he means by that is when... It's wintertime and the branches are bare. You don't go about pruning fruits. Some of you are in winter. You are dry. There is no fruit. And yet you're trying to prune trees. You're trying to make decisions about your life and your future when you shouldn't be because the branches are bare. You're not the gardener. You're a branch. You're a branch. And yet, that might not sound like good news, and yet here, Jesus makes sure to emphasize it's good news. It's good news you aren't the vine. It's good news you you aren't the gardener. Because he says, apart from me... You can do nothing. He's trying to help his disciples see as they are going to have a kingdom mission beyond Jesus' time on earth. He's trying to help them see that they have to be dependent on the vine and on the gardener if they want to have a fruitful life and ministry. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Some of you, because you feel this, you have nothing. Your reserves are gone and you're trying to push a rock up a hill and it keeps falling back. And yet you get up the next day and try to push it up the hill again. And you have no reserves to do it. You're trying to do it all in your own strength, all in your own power. And tonight the Lord is saying to you in this text, apart from me, you can do nothing. Stop trying to push the rock. 
There's a story about in the Bible about Samson in the book of Judges. And Samson's met with Delilah. He's become acquainted with her in special ways. And Delilah's trying to understand the source of his strength. And finally, through her womanly wiles, she manages to get the words out that his strength is in his hair. And so while he sleeps, she cuts his hair off and then binds him. And Samson rouses himself. And he attempts to go after the men who are about to besiege him and take him. And he thinks, like just like before, he is going to go and wreck shop on these guys. But the text in, in Judges says, Samson did not realize the Spirit had left him. You see, sometimes in my life in ministry... I do things as a pastor where it looks like the Spirit is with me and I've constructed a way to make it look that way. And I haven't even realized that the Spirit isn't with me. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Tonight, hear the words from John. Apart from me, you will do nothing. Fourth thing is, the only relationship that's necessary, Jesus says, is to abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. And ask anything. And I will give it to you. How do you abide in the vine? Well, there's pretty lots of practices. One potential practice is gathering here together on Tuesday nights. Another is worshiping in a local church. A third is God's present in His Word in some special ways. And so you placing yourself in and under His Word is a way to abide. But I want to connect it here like it's connected a little bit in the text. And I want to say to you tonight that asking is abiding. Are you someone who asks of God things? All things. My uh, little guy, I have kids ranging from 16 to 2. And my 2-year-old is at that age where he's talking incessantly you know he he sees things he we play i i played i spy i i didn't preach on sunday and i was in the nursery and it was the first time i'd ever been in the nursery and i i opened up this i spy book and man i had several kids captive to this book and we all were pointing out things in this i spy book and my little two-year-old guy was trying to kind of play along and so ever since sunday he's been saying these words i spy i spy and everything he sees he's talking about Well, he's at that age where he needs help all the time. And, you know, it's the cutest thing, man. It's it's the cutest thing in the world, and it melts us. But he'll say, help, Daddy, help. He's stuck on a chair. Help, Daddy. He's stuck in his toys after he's kind of like been climbing in them and on them. Help, Daddy. He's an asker. He's one who asks all the time about everything. Asking is abiding with the Father. 
And some of you need to get into this paradigm. It's not up to you to go do it on your own. It's not up to you to strategize and think and fix. You need to start just abiding in the vine by becoming one who asks and is dependent on God. I want to read this to you. This quote, The praying life is an abiding life. Many Christians hit a wall when they connect abiding with asking. They freeze thinking, if I were abiding, then I would get my prayers answered. Abiding feels elusive like a spiritual pipe dream. Abiding is anything but disconnected from life. It is the way life should be done in partnership with God. One of the best ways to learn how to abide is to ask anything. Jesus here says, abide in me. And ask anything and it will be granted to you. Now this isn't like genie in the bottle. It is because you are so in step with the Spirit. Because you are an asker. That you trust God so completely. That you just ask for everything. And know that your Father in Heaven is good. And He will grant you the things that you need. So that you can abide in Him. The last thing I want you to notice is he says to these disciples who are worried about their future, he says to them, you are already clean. You are already clean. Because of the word I have spoken to you, you are already clean. We are really good at trying to clean ourselves. Offering up ourselves, doing ministry, trying to uh, tell our friends about Jesus. Spiritual things. We're really good about justing our firing ourselves in our classes with our roommates. We're really good about making ourselves look clean. And here Jesus says to you, you're already clean, not because of anything that you've done, but because of the words that I have spoken to you. He says to the disciples, you're clean. There's nothing else you can do to earn it. There's nothing else you can do to get more clean. You are clean. So you are free from the burden of making yourself clean. Hear this, students. You are free from the burden of making yourself clean. That burden's a heavy one. Right? Someone points something out to you about your personality, your body, your way of life. And it's a hard thing to hear. Maybe they did it just to dig at you. And there's this part of truth in it. And so you hear these words and you're berated with them all the time. From your home to your school to your place of origin, your childhood home. And you're trying to make up for those words that have been said to you. You're trying to work harder, be better, do good. Live into some kind of reputation that you've created and crafted for yourself. 
And God in Jesus says to you, you're already clean. You're free from the burden of justifying yourself. Those words aren't what makes you clean. Your work isn't what makes you clean. I make you clean. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may be full. Actually, the question, where's your joy? How do you get that joy? The answer from our text is from Jesus. From abiding in the vine, being one who asks, knowing that apart from uh, Jesus you can do nothing. Remembering that you aren't the vine, that you aren't the gardener, that you're already clean. That's the starting point and baseline for joy. Me and my friend were having this conversation via text message tonight. And I was asking him, because he just wrote a book about joy. And it went on sale today on Amazon. And so I asked him, I said, hey man, what, what would you say joy is? And we get down to it. He says joy gets manifested in temporal specific conditions. And then he says, I can have joy in prison. I can have joy in divorce. I can have joy in flunking. I can have joy in a miscarriage, in singleness, in a disability, in financial instability. It's not dependent on those things. It's dependent on Jesus. Abide in the vine. As Ben leaves, as Anna and Ben move to Georgia, as Jonathan comes abide in the vine abide in the vine that your joy may be full let's pray Father we ask that you would help us I pray that tonight we would start this whole thing of abiding in you by just asking you That we would ask whenever we feel burdened with anything in our life, anything, small, big, anything we're afraid of. If we wake up in the middle of the night tonight, instead of turning on the TV, I pray that we would ask. If we wake up in the morning with this foreboding sense of guilt and doubt, I pray that we would ask, God, please take away my doubts. Take away my fears. Take away my worry. Please be present with me in the midst of my stress, in the midst of my family, in the midst of the conflict with my roommates, in the midst of my lies. I don't want to go there again, God. Help us to ask. Help me not to go there again and start the process of abiding with you. Remind us we're not the vine. Remind us we're not the gardener. Remind us that apart from you we can do nothing. And remind us that we're already clean. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.